As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And today, man, y'all need to share this out right now. This dude that's coming on has an unbelievable story. It's going to blow you away. I have Mr. Brightside himself, Bobby Jones on the show. Make sure you share this out and stay with us. This is going to blow your mind. And we are back. Let me bring Bobby on. Bobby, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, everyone. And that's an awesome intro you got there, Ken. Thanks, man. Fitting, Thanks. very fitting. I, I I spent a lot of money on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't make it. No. Uh, trust me. But uh, so leave it, so leave it to the pros. That's right. That's right. Know, know your lane and stay in it. Right. <laughs> that's Right. That's what I always say. But so, Bobby, you know, um, you just reminded me that we met in Dallas at the um, Chaz Wilson's event, the Connect Conference, which was amazing. Um, and, you know, I don't know a lot about you. I just know that you have an unbelievable story of um trials and tribulations is that would that would that be putting it the right way and yeah. and over over overcoming those things man and and so i'm excited to hear your story um why don't you start with where tell everybody where you were born and raised yeah so i was actually born and raised right here where i still reside in dover delaware and okay. um and so uh, I literally live like three miles from the hospital I was born in. So I didn't go far, but uh, long wow. track. So is that, is that near Philly? It's a, we're about an hour and 20 minutes from Philly. This is one of the reasons why I don't ever really want to leave here is because it's so close to so many great cities and, and uh, beaches and things like that. So New York, you got the Jersey shore. Yeah. We were just everything. in New York last, last week or the week before. So, wow. I was just in Philly just I, a couple, two, three weeks ago. Buying a car, right? Yeah, I was there the week before buying another car. <laughs> so, yeah, man. So, so. Um, by the way, if you're ever in Philly, I highly recommend Jim's 
um, for the Philly cheesesteak, authentic Phil. Like I live in Ohio, dude. There's there's people trying to make Philly cheesesteaks, but not successfully. No, nah, they do the sliced ribeye, right? What's that? They do the sliced ribeye at gyms. I, you know, I have no idea. I, I went there on because my buddy Frank Crenetti's like, yeah, go down to gyms right down the street, and it was uh Man, it's worth the drive just to go over there to that place. So, so, so you grew up in Delaware, and interestingly enough, I've been to Delaware because if you're in the west side of Philly, it's like three seconds to get to Delaware, and I had I didn't even realize that. Yeah, we're pretty close, and that—that's yeah. one of the me and my wife when we uh, go to dinner. We're typically we'll drive into Philly because of all the great restaurants there versus down here. So. Yeah um wow close it's very close yeah it is so so you were born in in in, in what city it's dover dover okay dover delaware dover, dover's the capital of delaware but it's hard enough getting people to know what <laughs> delaware is versus dover so <laughs> typically i have to tell them we're right below philly and that everybody's like oh okay so, my daughter my my oldest daughter lives in delaware ohio Ah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is right down the street. But so, so, um, so, okay. What was it like for you growing up? I mean, did you have any, you know, craziness that you had to overcome as a child? Um, what, what happened growing up for you? You know, it's, it's funny, Ken, at the time, you know, everything seems so normal when you're a kid, you don't really have anything to compare it to. So everything that you're experiencing seems normal until you realize it's not. So yeah, there was a lot of bizarre things that I dealt with as a kid that I didn't know were bizarre, uh, until later on. So, uh, like a lot of people though, I mean, I grew up super, super poor. My parents struggled with addiction. So, you know, my, um, my my life took kind of a, a detour when uh, the state stepped in and put me and my sister into uh, foster homes. Uh, and so we kind of wow. took a few trips in and out of different foster homes. Um, I remember in my sixth grade school year, I went to six different school districts because I was moving through different homes so often. And so, um, so and, but at the time, like, obviously now I look back and I'm like, wow, that's so crazy, but you just, you don't have anything to compare it to at the time. And so it did seem, you know, a lot of my childhood seemed normal. Obviously foster care felt weird because we were in and out of strangers homes and things like that. But, um, but yeah, it was, um, it was not typical to most. Um, but I also don't regret any of it. It really made me uh, a better person today. I can help um, you know, mentor and consult with kids that are coming out of the foster care system. So I'm very grateful for what I experienced, at least in that, in that area of my life. Did, did they keep you and your sister together? Uh, they, uh, again, I'll give them credit. They tried to for as long as they could. Um, but we did end up in separate homes and spent most of the time separated. And I'd had an, an older brother too, that actually ended up with my grandparents. So, um, so we were all separated, um, for, for a good portion of that foster care stint. Wow. Wow. So you, you, um, that, that, that would be tough, man. Being, I mean, I'm assuming you, you, you knew your sister pretty well. I mean, and then you're getting separated. That had to be tough. Yeah. Me and my sister are Irish twins. We're 10 months apart. So wow. 
Yeah. So mom went in for a six week checkup and found out she was pregnant with my sister after having me. So, um, wow. But, um, but yeah, we were, we were very close, obviously, you know, almost the same age. Actually, we were the same age for two months out of the year. And, um, so, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was hard. Um, but again, it's like we were conditioned to roll with the punches throughout our childhood. So it was just one of those things. It was like, okay, this is one more thing to, to just handle and deal with. And again, you know, it's easy to look back on my childhood and a lot of people sympathize, but I definitely am not looking for sympathy. I'm very grateful for what I experienced there. Um, I have regrets in my life, but it's not, it's not in that. So, wow. So, so you, I mean, did you stay in the foster system your entire childhood? What happened? No. So we, like I said, we were in and out, um, all the way up until that period of time that I just described, which was the longest, uh, stay in foster care. And then when I'll tell you, Ken, we don't really have a good explanation for why we went home when we did, because conditions weren't any better. Um, when we went home, me and my sister, both, uh, we went home to a, a single wide trailer that had no electricity. Neither one of my parents had, um, a job, a driver's license or a car. And it was, we had a le- we had an extension cord ran from our neighbor's house over to our house to run our refrigerator and our television. So what? I looked, yeah, I, I, I tell you, and I've got a lot of friends in the, um, in the family, uh, services, um, industry and career field now. And so we talk about this often, but, uh, you know, that was something that we've always asked questions about as to why we went home at that time. Like nothing really had seemed to improve. And so, um, right about at that same time, Ken, and again, please feel free to stop me at any point, but right about at the same time, my mom had started, um, she had discovered that she had cancer at the same time. So she was already battling addictions and she had, um, gotten cancer and they had prescribed my mom, uh, 160 milligram Oxycontin to deal with the pain left from the surgeries that removed her cancer. And so wow. this my mom into a slumbering, you know, just absolutely, um, you know, uh, just, you know, she was sleeping most of the time, like just would take this medicine and turn into a, a zombie almost and, and go to sleep. And it, it was um, really unfortunate because at that same time, I'm, I'm getting into my teenage years, my 13, I think I was about 13 at this time and nobody was watching me. And so I just like, my dad was, you know, in and out of different jobs and things like that. He would work for, you know, different um, careers or, or jobs. And then, um, you know, I would, while he's at work, just be running the streets. So I would just, I'd skip school. I'd, you know, go hang out with all the wrong people. And so I got wow. arrested first time for the first time at 13 years old and then wow. uh, and then I'd get arrested again at 14 and when I got arrested at 14 it was um, a little bit more serious so they actually put I was actually away for almost two years on that that arrest um, so I didn't come home until I was almost 16 years old so <clears throat> so the first time you got arrested you were 13 um, was it from from like going door to door trying to sell you know cookies or something or no i wish no i uh, i i um again running with the wrong people i ended up breaking into a house and stealing a bike um and uh and i got caught it was it was bizarre i got caught like six months later so you know i'd 
uh, it was so commonplace to me at the time that I think I even forgot about that bike. And, you know, a cop came knocking on my door and, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know much about the system or anything like that. And so I just, um, you know, I let this cop basically tell me to confess to it. And I did, and, uh, I got put on probation for that. And then when I ended up getting in trouble in school for, um, marijuana possession, and that's what sent me away the second time. And wow, that, that was actually, I actually ended up supposed to only do like a 60 day program and in Philly. And I ended up um, getting into a fight two weeks into a 60 day program and they violated my sentence, sent me back before the judge and my judge sent me to another program. So the arrest could have been in and out. And yet I turned it into a two, almost a two year sentence by being a knucklehead. Um, 60 days is not, doesn't really qualify as in and out. I know, but it would have been a lot better than two years, Ken. <laughs> I, know, I know, but but still, dude. I mean, that's a long time, man. And and two, yes, two years is way longer. But yeah. wow, man, that's crazy. So um, it was all marijuana, and then you got into a fight. Yep. And, and you it, said it, in a program was that like a halfway house kind of thing or? Well, so everything juvenile has to be a program, uh, at least in Delaware. So if you if you get sentenced to something in Delaware as a juvenile, your time that you actually sit waiting to get to the program doesn't count at all. Um, so I had to wait. I think I waited for 90 days to get to the 60 day program anyway. Waited um, where? At, in, a, in a detention center here. Yeah, it's. Uh it's a wild so there's system. no like time served nope not not, not for Whoa, two dude yeah so um but you know it was a blessing in disguise honestly and i know everybody says that but what happened during that two-year period ken um everybody that i was hanging around with uh very close like my best friends my family like everybody around me either you know went deeper into addiction or created addictions that they didn't have while I was home. And so I truly believe had I been home during that time, I would have created and developed an addiction as well. And I, and I truly think back on that time as a moment that just kind of saved my life. And, and somebody, you know, somebody somewhere, I believe that something was steering the ship and, you know, made sure I wasn't home for that addiction process. You, you know, um, and, and Doug, Doug brings up something that that's interesting um, you know, you and I talked a little about it before the show. I, I, I went through some, some similar things as a kid. Um, and, and, you know, talk about what, what Doug brings up. I'll bet you were scared to be in jail at 14. It, it, talk about that. Cause I think I know the answer, but like, go ahead, man. Say, say, uh, tell everybody how, what that's like at 14. Yeah, it, it's it's really scary, of course, because you've heard all these stories and, and you know, every which rightfully so. I mean, make jail sound horrible because we shouldn't be looking forward to it at all. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't what, you know, had been explained to me. My my dad used to joke and tell me that I'd only have one piece of stale bread per day. And quite the opposite was true, especially in juvenile facilities. I actually felt like I ate better in juvenile facilities than I did at home. Um, but uh, so. So that was it was scary going in. Um, and then, of course, you are exposed to, you know, violence that they try to supervise and make sure doesn't happen. But, you know, it's there and it's waiting for you. And so uh, the, 
the the real fear and i, I know i'm kind of jumping ahead here but honestly it's a lot to cover if you want the story so yeah when I, when I turned 18 um i turned 18 in march and had to turn myself in for an, a, a prison sentence in adult prison uh in april so i was like a fresh 18 uh later on in life and uh my first cellmate was a two-time convicted murderer had um two uh double life sentences uh so and he was like this guy that was like six foot two i mean just huge guy that you know could have squashed me if he wanted to and so you know as a fresh 18 going into that situation um we have a classification process in our prisons here so you go through a lot of the prisons before you get to the place you're actually supposed to be in and so i was in maximum security with a guy who had two consecutive life sentences and for so, murder for murder yeah and so, so that was uh, 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 hold, hold on. I think we're, we just accelerated into the twilight zone, man. Yeah. So let's go back to 14. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You spent two years in in a juvenile, was it like a juvenile detention center? Yeah. So and, and, and just so everybody knows, that's they still have steel doors and, and all oh, yeah. of that. It's those... level five. So it's it's maximum yeah. security in both situations. Yeah. Um, so uh my juvenile facility, it was a combination of a few different um stays. So again, the detention center, uh, which is kind of like the pretrial holding facility as you get determined where you're gonna go and the judge sentences you. Yeah. So I spent probably out of the two years, I probably spent about 10 months in that facility. Um uh, went to the program, came back to that facility, and then ended up in a program they call Ferris, which is a um, six-month-long program if you're good. And as we've, you know, you all can probably assume I wasn't good. So uh, I ended up in that facility for, I think, 10 months. Um, wow. So, yeah. So then at, so you, you were 16, you got out, right? At 16? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And then... um you joined the boy scouts and cleaned up your act no uh, oh. i should have so um it, it was actually funny i came i came home um and i actually went back to the same home we talked about before uh and you know conditions really hadn't gotten much better although i will say that my mom and my dad separated and we ended up going to um another town near here called bridgeville and um that's actually when i met my wife and i want to give her big time shout outs and credit here heather i don't know if she's watching but i 
I'll tell you guys, man, this girl has been with me since this moment that I'm explaining to you guys now and wow. is still rocking with me today. And so I'm very grateful for her. So, um, but she met a guy who she thought was, you know, uh, a, a decent looking guy who looked like he had a couple of coins in his pocket. And uh, she would later find out that at the time that I met her, I had moved in with my dad in a camper uh, living behind my uncle's house. So I was living in a camper when I met my wife. And, um, and so, uh, we, she, she stuck it out with me. Unfortunately though, I hadn't figured, uh, my direction out yet. And so I was still a knucklehead. I was still getting into trouble. Um, and I, and this up, is what age, what age did y'all meet? 16. I met her. 16. At 16. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. And, wow. um, and so we, we ended up, um, I, I ended up getting back into trouble. I was back in Dover, which is North of where I was staying. And, uh, I ended up, um, getting into a situation with, uh, some of my family members where someone that we interacted with, uh, owed us money. Um, we went to take the money from that person and we got caught and they arrested us for robbery. And wow. so I had turned 17, like right before this happened and they, because of my previous criminal history, charged me as an adult. Um, wow. So this is the case that I would eventually go to adult prison for that I explained to you guys. So um, so was it ro just robbery or armed robbery or was, was there any? It was robbery first um, <clears throat> and then I pled to robbery second uh, with an assault charge with it. Wow. Um, yeah. And so that was, I, I was convicted at 17, but charged as an adult. So that went on my adult record. Wow. And, um, you know, Ken, I don't know how much detail you want to go into all this because, and I'm, I'm very happy to do so, but, but there's a lot to discuss. I mean, I would come home after that time, um, get arrested for selling cocaine, um, wow, go, dude. go back to jail, um, come home, get arrested for a burglary. Um, come home, get arrested for another burglary. So, um, and that, wow. Brings to, that brings us to the case that almost put me away forever. Um, so, and, so they, they, they made that's, you're the one that, that created the word recidivism. <laughs> yeah, <it laughs> like, definitely based on, I, I definitely added to the numbers <laughs> quite a bit myself. Um, Jeez, wow. And then the title they would give me in court was the habitual offender career criminal. Wow. Um, and my, and because a lot of my charges were different charges, right? So like the, if I'd have only had one thing that I did repetitively, believe it or not, they would have probably been more lenient on me because I had one, you know, yeah. characteristic or one area in which I was having these issues. Um, and without an addiction to explain my criminal behavior, they really looked at me as a menace to society. And so as wow. a result, my first plea if anybody's familiar with the court system they offer you uh, a bargain which is if you plead guilty to this particular charge we'll lighten your sentence we'll make a recommendation in court for you to only serve a certain amount of what you would have been um liable to serving and so my first plea was for 33 years and you know i had been through this before so i kind of knew what was going on and so i expected that the next time we went to court that that would drop down and it didn't so every single time I went to court, they said, well, they're still offering you the same plea at 33 years. And I would later learn, Jeez. you know, again, I was so young at the time still that I really didn't understand everything about it. 10 years of that 33 sentence was backup time from all the other previous cases that oh my I God. violated. 
that was a non-negotiable 10-year sentence that was following with me that I had no idea that that, that was going to be the way it would be structured later. And so, and the, the worst thing about this, Ken, is, and I, as I stated earlier, I do have regrets, right? During this period of my life, I harmed people, I hurt people, and I, I deeply regret that stuff, right? I wish I'd never brought harm on anybody else. Um, but everything that I went through as a result just, you know, conditioned me and built me and made me stronger, as the saying goes. Yeah. Uh, but because I was red-handed guilty, caught red-handed guilty in this situation, I really had very little hope. So I spent the next seven months in pretrial praying, hoping, and wishing for 5, 10, 15 years. At this point, my oldest daughter had already been born. My first daughter had been born. Wow. I actually met my daughter in prison on a previous prison stay. Um, wow. Which was, you know, heartbreaking all in its own, but... I just really wanted another chance. I just, I knew, I know everybody says that and I know everybody wants that, but I just really wanted another chance because despite all the data that I had um, collected over the years as to what my life was probably going to end with, um, I always felt like there was something in me that was just great. Like I felt like I was going to do something great one day and this gut feeling was suppressed by all the data that just said, nope, you're just insane and there's no reason, reason to really believe this. And, and, so, and what's crazy, man, uh, just let me go off, off for a second. Ahead, what's man. crazy is you didn't have an addiction problem. Like you didn't have an alcohol and drug. You, your addiction was selling the drugs and and and, uh, and other nefarious things. But like, there was no addiction, which is ninety nine percent of the people that are in the in locked up. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. And that's and that's why they were so tough on me. You know, is there wasn't this explanation, and not that you know that gives anybody an excuse, but but really that was that was the thing it was a criminal pattern it was a behavioral pattern and um and it was so it was so bizarre because you know here i am looking at all this time and i was only 21 at the time i was only 21 years old and that's what's so crazy is by from 17 to 21 i had accumulated four separate felony well this would have been my fourth separate <laughs> felony conviction in in wow. four years and so you know it was it was record time i promise you it was record time <laughs> Um, and, and so, uh, so praying, I just, you know, I didn't know what I was praying to. I'm not, you know, super religious. I am spiritual in the way that I just believe that there are, uh, there's a balance out there. And so I just prayed to whatever was listening or whoever was listening. Like if I get another chance at this, I promise you, I'm not going to give it, I'm not going to mess it up. Um, and so, uh, I just wanted to, you know, five, 10, 15 years, something that was my, my version of a miracle Ken was going to be five years, 10 years. Right. And so yeah. I get to trial. We go all the way through all the court cases. We get to trial. My public defender um, comes to me because I couldn't afford a lawyer. My public defender came to me and was like, hey, listen, why don't we take four of you guys from the holding cell inside the courthouse down below the courthouse? Right. Take four of you guys and take you into the court um, courtroom and see if the witness slash victim can identify you. And I was like, I mean, I literally got caught red-handed by this guy. He spoke to me. I, I doubt he's going to make a mistake in the courtroom. And so the guys that they bring in, one of them's like this older white dude with a beard, right? And there's another guy who's Spanish and has a tattoo on his face. And then there's another white guy that's got like the gauges in his ears and a tattoo on his face too. So long story short, none of the other three people looked like me at all. And we get into the courtroom. They sit me down in, what, in like the jury box area. And the guy walks in, the witness slash victim, they escort him into the room. He looks me 
dead in my face and says the man that did this is not in the courtroom today. Mm. Dude. Are you freaking kidding me? Not one bit, man. Not one bit. And, and the crazy thing is, Ken, like I've, I've like, I'm so, I spent years trying to figure out why, like, I was like, why, like what? Cause he never missed a court date. Like I said, he was there. He never missed a single court date. Like it, I never expected in a million years that there was any, anything like that could possibly happen in the courtroom. And so wow. when it did, like, I mean, obviously I had family in the courtroom. I think Heather was there. Um, it was just like, we were like, you've got to be kidding me. And I went home the same night. And so are you serious, dude? Ken, I'm, I, and the, the, all the violation, all the time was all the other time for the violation was dependent on this new conviction. So without a conviction, they couldn't violate me on any of the other stuff. And so once this new case got dismissed, all the other stuff got dismissed along with it. And here's what I learned. Like I'm going home and I know 100% what's waiting for me if I get back in trouble. Right. Yeah. And so I go home with this, like, I'm absolutely convicted, convinced that I'm just not going to get in trouble. But I was that way every other release, too. And so I'm like, but this time I'm like, OK, I know what's waiting for me if I do. But the other problem was, is as I try to get employed, I have three felony convictions now. Right. And mm. I'm like, every single time I put an application in with a conviction on my application, right, a felony conviction on my application, I don't even get an interview. Right. Right. So I was like, look. I'm going to stop making excuses, right? This is what this is really where my victim mentality, I'm telling you, when I got released suddenly from prison, I didn't just get released suddenly from prison. I got released from a lifetime of victim mentality. I got released from all the scars of my childhood, all the trauma, everything. In that moment, it all went away. Just and boom. I can and I just embraced <clears throat> the idea that if it's to be, it's up to me. It ain't nobody else going to do it for me. I've got to do this. So, I went home convinced and just convicted to get a job and so i borrowed a suit off of my cousin my cousin is six foot two i am five <laughs> nine <laughs> it was a big suit <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so, but but i but i i had envisioned this version of myself that was successful and when i envisioned this version of myself that was successful in my vision it was a, a version of me wearing a suit now a it was, very large suit well it fit him a lot better in the in the imagination <laughs> um but so what i did is i i put that suit on i got a haircut from a guy in the trailer park i was living with my uncle on his couch at the time because none of my neither one of my parents had a place for me to stay so i was living on my uncle's couch and i walked into walmart and I said, I'm here for my job interview. And they said, what? We don't have you scheduled for an interview. I looked the lady dead in her face. I said, I'm sorry, ma'am. My interview is scheduled for 11 o'clock, but don't worry. I'll just have a seat here and I'll wait. And uh, you let me know when they can be with me. So I waited there for 45 minutes, Ken. Oh, my gosh. Sitting dude. on the bench back near the layaway section of this Walmart, right? And this manager peeks his head around the corner. His name was assistant manager, Ron. I'll never forget it. He peeks his head around the corner. He sees me in a suit and he's got to be thinking in his head. I wore a suit to this thing. Let me at least chat with him. Right. So a, a very large, suit. A very large suit. I, I had my arms like this so that they wouldn't hang past my hands. Um, 
it was it was wild, man. I I I joke oh, about it a little bit. Dude. Of course, I have better fitting suits today, but um, oh my god, that was that's hilarious. Me, that was the that was the chance. And so I got back there. They gave me a temporary part-time position in electronics. And what's super funny, Ken, and I, you know, this is one of those chip on your shoulder moments right here, because as I was walking back in my big suit to be interviewed, <laughs> one of the ladies that was in a management position of some kind laughed and joked with the manager and said, what are you, what are you interviewing for a salary position there? <laughs> and I, you know, to this day, Ken, to this day, Ken, I, I joke and I say, absolutely. He was absolutely. Wow. I, I went on to be a manager of that store. I ran the whole left side of that store. Wow. Um, four years later, I got promoted over and over and over again and ended up running the whole left side of that store. And I took all the training I could possibly take. Wow. Every time that they would offer a training somewhere else, I'd go, I'd learn as much as I could about management and leadership and everything I could from Walmart. So I give, you know, I give Walmart a lot of credit for that. Um, obviously I had to take wow. the initiative, but, but it was an opportunity they graced me with. So, and this was at what 21 years old is when, when you started your Walmart career in a suit. <laughs> yep. Yeah, this was two, 2007. I think I got the job right wow. then, yeah, right, right in 2007. So, wow, dude, that's that's incredible. And and did they did the felony convictions come up in the interview? I mean, no, but it's funny you say that because I was terrified throughout the process because I was being promoted, and the next level of promotion for me required another background check. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And so I kind of got nervous at that point and was worried that once I got promoted, um, I would, it would all, you know, I, I'd lose my yeah. job basically. Um, but I ended up leaving there um, for other reasons to start a business. So it, uh, it worked itself out. But there was wow. a time where I was, because I was actually in charge of the sporting goods department where they sold guns. <laughs> so, so i was like um i tried to stay away from that department uh, as i could because i was like man I, this probably shouldn't be happening but you oh know i i just i made sure there were people in that uh, area or that were the people for that responsibility so wow yeah so but um but you know, 
it's just um, it's crazy because if I asked anybody, they would have told me I can't do that. Yeah. Right? If I would have asked anybody, they'd be like, oh, no, you can't get a job there for this reason. You can't get a job there for that reason. And I, you know, that would come up later on, too. Um, and there's many times where people project their self-limiting beliefs on you. And so uh, if I'd have listened to them, I would have never did that. I never taken that shot, never taken that chance in it. It saved my life, man. It saved my life. It showed me it showed me that this, right? Because when I first got the job, I was like, huh, if if I can get this job and everybody said I couldn't and I didn't believe I could, then what about getting promoted? And then I was like, well, shoot, if I got promoted to this point, well, why can't I get promoted to that spot? And I was literally breaking through all yeah. of my self-limiting beliefs. And every single time I like challenged the next one, I was like, I can't get that or can I? And I would just go after that a little bit harder. So I was just smashing through self-limiting beliefs. And it was it was changing the way I was looking at life for sure. So you uh, go back to the the how long were you in this this? How long did you have the two time murdering cellmate? Uh, so that that particular we call them cellies, but that particular celly. Um, celly. Yeah. How did I not know that? <laughs> um, he, he was, I, I was only in there, I think like three weeks. Um, and that was in maximum security prison. So everything is maximum security. Like you can't get, you can't come and go or anything like that. You're obviously in prison clothes, but there are certain buildings that have more privileges. And so that one was 23 and one, you were locked in the cell 23 hours. You were out for one. With a guy that's been convicted of two murders. And you were there on a, a, a robbery robbery charge. That seems like a good match. Um, I'm kidding. That sounds insane to me. <laughs> was it was did was he a nice guy? Yeah, luckily, <laughs> I mean, luckily, yeah. Uh, see, yeah, that's what I mean. I know it sounds crazy to say that, but. He probably just made some really well. It sounds like he made a couple, at least, of really bad choices. Right. So, so, so you're at Walmart. You're running half of the store, and um, you decide you want to start a business. Yeah. So um, it's it's funny because when I left Walmart, um, I actually went into a sales position for a, for another, for a roofing company. Okay. And, um, with, with the intention of eventually starting my business. And so, uh, I was there, I was with that company for about, so this was 2011, right? So released in 2007, okay. four years with Walmart, 2011, I leave and I'm working in another roofing company, a roofing company in sales, which for the first time in my life, my direct effort this week can determine my check next week right and so it was it was another breakthrough for me um i did really well in roofing sales and within about six months of doing that um i ended up starting my first business with one of the other people that worked with that company as well and so um wow you know most people that have reached some level of success have seen a lot of failure i had seen a lot of failure in other ways and i hadn't really seen it in business yet and so that first business that we created 
Um, we started with the idea that we were going to be the cheapest roofers and mm. we were going to get a lot of business because we we're going to be the cheapest because we could afford to be because our overhead was low. We had all these reasons that justified that. Oh, we don't have to charge as much because we could do this, this, and that. And as a result, we had cheap work. We had cheap laborers. We had cheap products. And of course, our um, performance of our projects didn't um, satisfy our customers the way that they, they should have and the way that we really could have. And so I yeah. ended up selling my share of that business um, in 2013 and starting Brightside, which most people know is my main my main company now. Brightside is roofing? Okay. Yes. Yep. Okay. Bright, Brightside Exteriors is a roofing company here in Dover, Delaware. Um, I formed the company with my uncle and my cousin. And since then, they all still work with me. Uh, my, my brother works with me. My... Um, my brother-in-law, uh, my sister-in-law, tons of wow. friends. And uh, I actually was able to exit that business um, last year. Uh, I had, I still own it, but I have somebody in the position of running that business for me. So there's, um, there's an old saying and it goes like this. The sweet, sweet taste of low cost is long gone after the bitterness of poor quality sets in. Yes. And that's, you, you just told a story about it. Like, yes. it's true. You can't, if you're undercharging, you can't provide service. Like it's correct. people don't get it. Oh, I'm getting a great deal. And they want to beat you up. Well, you're going to, they, they have to sacrifice something. Yeah. So, when we started, when we started this business, we went the, we went the other way. We said, listen, how can we justify being the most expensive? Yes. And we built, we reverse engineered from there and we said, okay, well, we would need to offer this, 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 and this. And then we'd have to add things that aren't even in the, the standard of roofing in this area. And so uh, we really did. We changed. I mean, there are things that we do in the process of roofing replacements that I don't think any of my competitors are doing at all. Um, and yeah. that's nationwide. So uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Um, and we've been able to, you know, if there's a customer in the supermarket and I walk past them, I can yeah. greet them and say hello to them because I know that the project's performing the way that we expected it to. I, I think, you know, and Doug Wing, who's one of my best friends in the world, his he he owned the little giant ladder company. Oh and nice. yeah, his used dad. Huh? I said we've used those a few times. Yeah. I yeah. mean, they're the best ladders in the world, and, and they're the most expensive ladders in the world. Literally double what right. his competitors charge. Yep. And but they they're the best, you know. Yep. And and so we've had a lot of conversations about that. And dude, I think that um I've said for years, I'm going to, I, and I know nothing about being a contractor, but I'm going to become one and just, and I'm going to name my company. We actually show up LLC. Yes. Yeah. Cause contractors don't show up, man. They don't do, they a just don't. By just showing up if they, and I've, I mean, it's amazing how most of our competitors, most of the time when I'm talking to a homeowner in this area, they'll be like, well, they came they talk to us, but they yeah. never give us a price. I was like, what are they in the making of friends business? Like, what is I know it's insane, here? man. And then after, like, I have a, a, I don't know what you call it, a ridge cap on my roof that needs ridge fixed. Fan. Yeah. And, and in, I call a friend, like, didn't even, and he's never showed back. He's like, oh, I can fix that for 140 bucks. I'm like, that's it. Done. Let's do it. Right. Never showed up. Yeah. Avoids me at church. <laughs> I'm like, dude, what the heck? So, you know, um, 
and and Doug's right. There are a lot of flakes in construction, yeah. but you know, it's I, people don't don't stay focused on what's most important, and that's the customer. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And that's the thing, you know, when when you get down to it, the price is the most is the least important part of the sale. Um, if you can bring enough value. Um, yep. and, and the other thing is you should be bringing way more in value than you can charge anyway. Like people ask me all the time, like, what should you be charging? Should I be charging? I probably should be charging $3,000 a square. The market right. doesn't support that, but I, you know, I'm still going to, going to be more, one of the most expensive in my area because I'm bringing yeah. way too much in value. And right. the guy that's running my business now, he was the one that trained me in sales at the original business years before. Wow. And one of my favorite lines from him and anybody, you guys can take this and apply this in any of your businesses as well. We might be at 14,000 or 15,000 for our roof. They'll be at 10 or 11 and he'll look the homeowner dead in their face and say, that guy's charging you too much. And then they're oh. like, what are you talking about? You're at 15. And he's like, yeah, but for what they're offering, I'd be at eight. Oh, dude. That's freaking genius. I love that. That's awesome. That's yeah, one of my favorite lines. I can't take credit for it. He taught me that one. And I love that. Wow. So, so let's talk about, you know, uh, so this show is called breakthrough walls. Um, it should be now and, and slamming down roofs or something, but, but so, so talk about, that you mentioned earlier that that you had a huge paradigm shift when it came to the victim mentality. Yeah. And I mean, I know incredibly successful people that still carry a victim mentality. Um, I know people, they're not, not very many successful people that carry that, but um, there's a lot of people who are stuck in life that are walking around like a victim in everything that happens. And so talk about that a little bit more where you had that shift and realization because you had to have had a realization, a, an awakening of sorts um, that, man, I've been walking around a, a victim all this time. 100%. This is so good, Ken. Great question because I was taught that way. Like my dad would always talk about like if we pulled up and a nice car was next to us, he would simply look right at them and and say to me, um, you know, they were probably built born with a silver spoon in their mouth. I never imagined mm. that people that had good things, nice things actually worked for the things that they had, right? So I was convinced right. that these people were dealt a different set of cards than we, the Joneses, were dealt, which is kind of ironic in the way of keeping up with the Joneses. But, yeah. Um, uh -huh. But so for me, I was always felt like the, the success that people talk about was for other people. Like I even talk about this often. I always say that in the classroom, the teachers would always say like, you can be anything you want to be as long as you work hard and do the, you know, all those things. I never thought she was talking to me. I thought she was talking to the rest of the classroom. I, I, ex mm. I excluded myself from that mentality because I literally thought it was for, it was for people born with better situations and cards better dealt to them. And so I grew up that way. Now in that moment in court, right? Gratitude. Gratitude just took over my life. Like I was so grateful. I was grateful for nothing and I was grateful for everything, right? Like I went home with like no clothes, no money. Wow. I 
graciously, my, my uncle let me sleep on his couch, but you couldn't tell me anything. I was so happy. I was so full of gratitude. There was, I was, I couldn't complain. I wouldn't complain about anything. And that's really where the name comes in. I know the name of the company is Brightside, but for me, from that moment on, I always looked at life how as in a way that it could be so much worse. Like I would take my situation and no matter what I was going through, I would imagine a worst case scenario and then I would punch on and I'd push on and I'd move forward. And so that's what took over. Gratitude took over my life. And as a result, ownership over my life took over. I no longer made excuses and blamed other people because I was given a chance that I didn't think I'd ever have. So, so this, <clears throat> back to, for anybody just joining back to that moment when, when the guy was in the courtroom, the victim, and you were w among three other dudes. And the guy said that man, the man that did that to me is not in this courtroom. And then you, so then it, like it's dismissed, I guess at that moment. And, um, you go through, you have to be processed out of the system during that whole period of time. I mean, was there ever a thought like, is this real? Like, is it, oh, are they going to change their mind or is there, are they going to go, wait a minute? Oh, you know, yes. I'm sure there was like, like, yeah, they figure out what they did here. They made a mistake. And you know, <laughs> part of me, Part of me feels guilty because, again, I was right. I was guilty for this. Um, and that's why, like, when I, the way I move today is like with this idea of giving back so much, especially in the same area where I did most of the dirt that I had done. But to, to answer your question, yeah, I was like, hurry up before they change their mind. Get me out of here. Right. Before, you know, they figure out what they've done. And even once I got home, it was like this too good to be true kind yep. of feeling. Yeah. Right. And so, um, but, but it does, it does click in and you do like, I always joke that, you know, and I'm not an entertainer by way of like musician, but my brother was. And so they have a saying in, in entertainment industry, like the show must go on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so for me, like, that's really what kicked in is like, okay, all right. Now this is, you know, this, and I actually thought about this back then. I was like, this could make for a really cool story one day, but it ain't going to matter if I don't do something with it, you know? And so like. I was like, so the show must go on. I still, now that I'm out here, I have to feed myself. I have to, you know, and I have, I, at the time, my daughter and my wife were living in Seaford. I, I couldn't go there because of all the bridges I burnt through all the knuckleheaded stuff I had done. So I had to hustle and grind to get us into a home. And I remember, Ken, the, <laughs> I joke about this and hopefully Heather's watching. If she is, I'll give her her credit again here because when we got our first home, it was in the same trailer park, by the way, that my uncle lived in. I got a two bedroom trailer and you couldn't tell me anything. I thought I was in a mansion. I was like, I was so happy. Like I said, gratitude just took over my life. I was moving us into this two bedroom trailer that had no yard. But to me, it was, I mean, I met my wife living in a camper. I've been living on my uncle's couch. I've been living in a prison cell for a long time myself. Wow. And so for me, like this two bedroom trailer, I told my wife, I remember this like as yesterday, I told my wife, we were sitting on the front stoop and I said to her, you know, honestly, I know this isn't much, but I could live here the rest of my life and I'd be happy. And she looked wow. me dead in my face, Ken. And she said, 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This will do for now. And so a lot Go of people, Heather. a lot of people might look at that and say, wow, she's kind of ungrateful in that moment. But no, what she told me in that moment, Ken, was that she believed in me. She believed that I could do more than that. And yeah. I was like, wait, I can do more. You think I could do more than this? And then I started to think that maybe I could do more than this. Wow. Yeah. I'm telling man, it's, it's so wild. And, and now like, you Bobby, know, I, Bobby, tell, tell me you don't live in a trailer park now. I don't live in a trailer park now. <laughs> I actually, I actually, about a month or so ago, almost bought one. So, what a trailer <laughs> park! Yeah, I'll keep you posted on that if it ever happens. I love it, dude. So. That's freaking awesome, man. So, I think that that um, man, you are the you are literally the epitome of what this show is about. You you really are, and and you know, I wish this story could be piped throughout the prisons across America. Quite frankly. It actually is. Um, and I don't want to put a plug on your show, but um, I have a good friend that just created a system. Um, the The prisons are now allowing inmates to carry a tablet uh, during specific wow. times of the day. That's so they awesome. actually have access to a podcast that was put out specifically for inmates to hear these stories. And so I was interviewed on that podcast uh, last year or no, excuse me, last two months ago and it's now it's now being piped into so there is something in the process and i hope that it grows i hope that your show can you know people just like you spreading the word that you're spreading gets they get access to these messages because it is there's plenty of stories like this um yeah. that that can show people that currently believe the same thing that i believed right that all the hoorah stuff of you could be anything you want to be you know yep. applies to other people it doesn't apply to people that were dealt these cards no it does man i'm here to tell you it does it yep. does for every single one of us who's willing to take ownership of our life get out of a victim mentality and work for what we deserve i i think you know that's a perfect segue into my my last couple of questions Um, the, the first one I ask everyone and, and that is, um, 
And the number one answer to this question is fear. So I, I, I expect you to do better. <laughs> than right. that. Thank you for telling um, me up front. Yeah. So, so in your opinion, what holds people back from two different things? Number one, real financial success in life. And number two, happiness, being free. Man, it's funny because those two things, you know, really I would I would recommend and suggest that you find out what makes you happy first, right? Um yep. this is a this is a journey that is not easy to take, but I really recommend that when people discuss happiness that they really go to a place where if everything that you think matters to you today was gone, could you find a way to be grateful and happy alone and by yourself? Um, and that's a tough question to ask because it it, it puts you in this place of no, now you're not dependent on anything else making you happy, right? We hear these stories of people who go through divorce or you know have a loss. And of course, there's time to grieve and time to mourn people. But at the end of the day, if your happiness is in the control of anything else, then you can set yourself up for failure by allowing your happiness to be determined by somebody else. So I always say that try to imagine yourself in a position where it's just you. Could you find happiness? And if you could identify that, how, where, what, what's making you happy in that moment, and then try to bring that to a reality now. And I, I this is a deep conversation. Definitely don't have enough time to go completely into this, but that is my number one recommendation when it comes to happiness. And I think happiness and self-love and that conversation is a very direct and connected conversation to have. Um, and then when it comes to success by way of money, man, it's, it's interesting because I feel like people don't think they deserve it. And I think when you when you have that conversation about self-love, you you then get to this point where you do feel a lot more self-worth, you feel a lot more self-value, and you can uh, embrace the idea that you are worth it. And not just that you're worth it, because that then evolves to, I deserve this, right? Once you get past the idea of you're worth it, you're worth having a successful business, you're worth the promotion, then you get to this point where not only are you worth it, but you deserve it. And if you deserve it, then you owe it to yourself and it becomes your responsibility to go after. Um, I, I, know, I know that's a lot to, to go into. No, dude, you're, I agree with you. You know, and, and there's, this is related a little bit, but um, you know, during, especially in the last year and a half, you know, suicide rates just skyrocketed. And, and, and I can remember, man, and I'm sure you have moments too, but, my wife and I opened up our first office, <clears throat> I don't know, back in 2009 or 10, something like that. And, and, and I had a handful of employees. And this one day, this big dude that worked for me comes walking in my office. He's like, hey, boss, um, there's some dude out in the parking lot looking in the windows of your SUV. And I'm like, why are you telling me? Go tell him to get the hell out of here. What, you're bigger than I am. And he's like, I would, but he has it blocked with a tow truck. And I was like, oh, no. yeah, that was, you probably should have led with that. Yeah, <laughs> right. I think he's getting ready to repo your car. And and so I go out there and I don't know if you've ever tried to talk the repo man out of out of taking your car. It doesn't work. And I was humiliated in front of my employees. And I remember 
thinking this is it, man. This is the end of my life. There, it does not ever get any worse than this. Cause I was so humiliated and, and, you know, unfortunately a lot of people, a lot of people ended their life in the last year and a half. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's gone on since the beginning of time, but what do you say to somebody that's, that's, that feels like, man, I've tried everything I've done everything. I am, uh, uh, there's no point to my life. Like, what do you say to them to help them get over that, get to the next moment? Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. I, I experienced something similar. I remember driving around in a Daewoo that was leaking antifreeze in the middle of winter. And I would, I had it calculated Ken to the point where I knew how much water to put into it so that I could get from where I am to where I'm going. And it would drain the water out and wouldn't freeze and crack the block. Wow. One day at about 11 PM, as I was getting diapers for my youngest daughter, um, I came out of the, the pharmacy to a pile a puddle of oil pouring out from the bottom of my car uh, and i was about a couple of miles probably about two miles from home and so i had to walk home in the freezing cold with the diapers and i was like at that position but it's it's interesting because you know i try not to i i try not to to talk about things that I can't really truly relate to because even in that moment where it was the deepest, darkest, like just, you know, this sucks. It was still on the upside of the uh, miracle that had happened for me. Right. So I still felt so much gratitude for life. And that conversation for me in that moment was a lot different because I was fired up. I said, I've got to do something about the quality of my life. I cannot keep putting my family and living the way that we're living right now. So like I was fired up by it. And so I got to tell you, depression and being depressed are two things that, um, despite everything that I went through in the prison system and the childhood, I'm just unfamiliar with. And so it's hard for me to relate to the question of somebody being to the point where nothing matters at this point, because there usually is something yeah. uh, or else you would have already done this right at this point you've got something that's motivating you D dig deep find out what that why is the why conversation which you know ken is super tough i feel yeah. like a lot of people use their kids as a why and i challenge that because when they're adults and living their own life what's going to motivate you to get up and get going then yeah. um so i would just challenge that person to find their why dig deep and find what's what's keeping them fired up and going now so. You know, you know, this, this Brad Schroeder guy, don't you? I do. Yeah. Well, what it, he, he says, that's a great question. How do you control your th thoughts and ref refrain from getting lost in the mental, the mental BS? I, I, how do you control your thoughts? So, I mean, again, it's just gratitude, right? Gratitude yeah. has taken over for me. And so like, even like when I talk about my story, right, I, I talk about the idea that like, Okay, I went to foster care, my parents were addicts, and I went to prison. But guess what? I didn't go to prison in Brazil. I didn't go to foster care in a third world country. I didn't experience. So everything that I went through could have been so much worse. And so for me, I'm still so grateful. And yeah. for me, gratitude just powers me through. Like everything that I have today, and obviously knock on wood, like everything I have today could be taken from me because right now my happiness is not dependent on any of it. So how then can I let the stress of a situation really impact my happiness? How can I let the stress of a situation really tear me down when I know that I've just got something so much greater to live for? Yeah. Um, 
And, and that's, to me, that's, that's what powers through. I mean, honestly, I know, you know, everybody's got life and everybody's got stresses that come along with life and family and business and things like that. But at the end of the day, if you understand that it could be so much worse, then what are we really complaining about? Amen, dude. Amen. And, and I think you just answered Brian Schneider's question. What's your why? So my why, uh, to be clear is to do for this world, right? Because of how much I took from this world. And so I feel like I owe it to the kids in the classroom who think the teacher isn't talking to them when they say that they, they can be anything they want to be. I owe it to that kid to get my message out as far and as wide as I can so that they understand it's for them too. Wow. Wow. Dude, you're a freaking rock star, man. I'm, I'm so, I, I saw, I saw a post of yours and I'm like, why haven't I asked Bobby to be on the show? And I've reached out and said, dude, you need to be on my show. And, and, and Um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, that, that I, I'm, I did. I'm really, really grateful you you accepted. So thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your unbelievable wisdom. You know, <clears throat> there's there's a, a one of my favorite quotes is pain is the predecessor of all wisdom, and and too many people go through a lot of BS and pain, and then they use it as a as to stay in victim mode, right? And, and dude, man, going to choke me up, but that moment in court, when you were given a second chance, you were given your, the opportunity to, to change your life and change the world. And dude, you've taken it and you're continuing to take it. And I'd like you to come over and fix my roof. <laughs> so, so one last funny statement for everybody i've never done a, i've never replaced a roof in my life not even one single shingle um but uh but oh my lord That's and awesome. one last thing i just happen to have this here because i i was going through pictures this is this is me in prison the oh day that I, met, I met my daughter here in this picture. This is the first time I met my daughter was right there. I was 18. Oh my God, dude. Wow. It's crazy, man. I like, not, not even the same guy. Nope, not the not same guy. Oh man. That's why people are like, if you could go back and tell, tell him something. I was like, I'm not even familiar with that guy anymore. I don't know what I'd say to him. He wouldn't listen to me. I don't think. would you smack the shit out of it i would definitely do that definitely do that i know man it's crazy my wife my wife was watching so dude um you know thank you i i really mean it i i there's some interviews that that touch my heart and you know this is one of them man this has been phenomenal so bobby jones thank you i appreciate you being here Everybody watching, go follow Bobby. Is there a website or something? I guess I could have asked you that up front. <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, so most of the time I send people to my Instagram. That's probably where I would update things the most. So Which that's, is, um, it's Mr. Brightside. It's underscore though. So underscore Mr. Underscore bright underscore side underscore. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> Dude, what? Underscore Mr. MR. Yes. Underscore 
bright right underscore side uh-huh underscore yeah okay. it looked it looked good it just doesn't translate that well when i'm saying it in audio especially uh, so i used to have um ceo underscore csi yeah oh nice. grant grant cardone yeah called me out on a live stream and said get rid of that underscore crap yeah well so i'm I trying i actually I actually have a an option on a couple of different platforms to get the actual Mr. Brightside line um, or, or handle. Um, yeah. So I'm trying to collectively get them all, but it'll take some time, I'm sure. You, you got this, man. Dude, you rock. Thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on and sharing. You're amazing, dude. You're amazing. So everybody go follow Bobby over at that on instagram <laughs> underscore <laughs> bright side i still come up though so. there you go yeah you'll yeah. find him so bobby thank you man i appreciate thank you my being friend. Here. it's been an honor it really has thank you you rock brother thank you we'll, we'll see you guys later have an awesome day thank you bobby As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.